in a few minutes. Fries, please. I know you guys are so cozy back there, but this will be quick. Look at all these guys over here caffeinating. Simon, will you come up real fast? Everybody remember Simon? If you don't, you will from now on. I'm going to turn my mic off. We like to pray for people that are going out. We like to pray for people that are staying here too, but in particular, it's always good to get prayer for special trips. And Simon's leaving us for a few weeks on Thursday. So he's going to share a couple minutes about where he's going and why, and, and I'm going to pray for him. And then I'm going to do a quick message, and then, ready for this? We're going on a field trip. First ever Coastlands field trip. Hold tight. So Simon, tell us about where you're going.
All right, I think we have a keynote, kind of. Happy Father's Day. The, the center of gravity of the room has shifted over here for the first time. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever seen it like this? <laughs> Wait a minute, let's not get all 1 Corinthians on us. Um, are we still waiting on the... Oh, we're good? I don't remember what verse I was going to start off with. Hey, pray with me. And then I wanted to share this morning with, for Father's Day in light of going on a field trip. I wanted to share a, a passage that I can't stand with you. Um, talk for a few minutes about why I can't stand it, why it messes with me. Tell a few stories about fatherhood. George McDonald was kind of a spiritual father to C.S. Lewis. If you've, you know probably one or both of those names, but C.S. Lewis said this about George MacDonald. He said, and he understood that fatherhood was at the core of the universe. C.S. Lewis said about George MacDonald that George MacDonald understood that fatherhood was at the core of the universe. I think that's a rich statement. Now mothers, don't be offended by that. Because we're going to talk about what that means, but let me show you another thing that George MacDonald himself said, and I think that in light of Charleston and, and some of these things, we, we know kind of what this means. Take a look at this quote. Is that legible enough? Does that ping anything in anybody's heart as you read that? See, I think, well, God, give me, give me wisdom to say a lot in a short time, to do the opposite of what I normally do. Hey, Jesus, thanks that you're with us, that you father us, but help us to really sit in this reality that you are father and that you would father us, continue to father us this morning. Some of you read some stuff by Donald Miller, but I think he's right on when he says that the fact that Jesus continually refers to God as Father and that God the Father kind of holds on to that name, those letters, F-A-T-H-E-R in English. Latin, it's what, patri, or you know, you have Abba is for Daddy, but all these different things. For most of us growing up in the Western world, it's kind of a marketing mistake. Wouldn't you say? I mean, let me just ask you all real quick. We don't, I don't need you to say necessarily, I'm not asking you to incriminate your own father, especially if they're in the room right now, or, or father-in-law. Uh, <laughs> no, there's, this is going to be like a mixed bag, but take a moment. What are some words, when, when you hear the word father, what kind of emotional responses does it bring up in Let's, let's just keep it general. When, when we say the word father, when we think of what father means, I mean, what are some of the reactions, some of the, the associations we would have with that word? But however you want to do it. If you want to share from your own experience, feel free. But if you want to just keep it general for the sake of, yeah. Yeah, just pop some words out there. What's that? Protector. Okay. Strong. Authority. Provider. 
playful, love, pain, and what did you say? Wise. Joseph and Mark are kind of, yeah. Emotionally distant figurehead. Now that's technically more than one word. It is, but yeah. <laughs> hmm. 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 Kind of that Malachi 4 piece, like that, that this one will come and turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's the very last statement in Scripture before Jesus comes on the scene. Respect. One or two more? Hot-headed? Oh. <laughs> Hot-headed, yeah. So we've heard kind of a, a combination. There's some positive and there's some negative associations, but here's the passage that gets me. Is, is Matthew 23 the first one on there, Cam? I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Well, no, actually I decided apparently earlier to not give you context. We'll save the context for later. Briefly, the context is Jesus almost raging against these Pharisees. Remember that passage he says like, you guys wear these phylacteries and these things and you go out and you insist that people give you praise for being this, this very religious person. You know what I'm talking about? He says like, you do all these outward things and you want people to like you. And we read that and we're like, that's so weird of them. Like, wearing all these things. Like, how dare they be kind of people that go perform so that other people will like them? We don't know anything about that. And then Jesus at the end comes around and he says this. And it's like, how does this all fit together? But here's the passage. I'm like, what do we do with this? He says, do not call anyone on earth father. In the context of these people making these outward shows of piety and religiosity and even going for popularity through religious means, do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors or pastors. No, he doesn't say that, actually. Um, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Anybody perplexed by this? Or is it pretty clear to you what this means? I'll be honest with you. I'm a little confused. Somebody was like, I forgot that was in Scripture until you brought it up. <laughs> but it's an interesting statement, isn't it? Don't call anyone on earth Father. Can I put a thought out there for you? Do any of you ever deal with, and maybe even struggle with, projecting your experience of your own Father onto the face and nature and personality of God. Anybody ever do that once <laughs> or twice? Isn't that almost impossible not to do? For some of us, it's actually a beautiful thing. We've seen a lot of God in our Father. For some of us, we wouldn't have seen anything. Period. And we probably have the whole spectrum in this room. But I wonder if maybe one of the things Jesus is saying is He's saying, 
don't fill your idea of God as Father with the contents of your earthly father. But do it the other way around. Let what God is like fill those letters, F-A-T-H-E-R, with what they mean and what they represent. And let me show you what that looks like. And isn't that the journey that George MacDonald is describing? Is saying, coming around to a whole new way of seeing God as Father and letting God define Father for us? There's a guy named Austin Sorensen. we have the quote on there? Tell me what you guys think about this. Is this true? A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Now some of us dads interpret that as like, pressure. But I don't know if it needs to be interpreted that way. And and honestly, I think that I don't know if it's really true. I think there's truth in it. But I don't know if it's completely true. So, I want to take about, I don't know how much time, but I want to just, I, I really wanted to share with you about three crucial figures in my life. Just tell a, a quick story for each of them about how God has redeemed Father for me. Because I grew up in a divorced family, so my parents were divorced when I was five. Anybody else products of, well, yeah, part of divorced family? Yeah. One of the problems with divorce, for those of you that have seen Goodwill Hunting, you know, <laughs> you know how this works, right? But when we're kids, the thing is, because our parents are grown-ups, we just assume that they know better than us. And whatever choices they make, you guys know this, I mean, maybe almost like poor pop psychology, that's not what I'm trying to do, but I'm telling you from my experience, when our parents make a choice, we assume if it affects us poorly that it it must be our fault because they're parents and they can't do anything wrong. So when parents get divorced, what is our reaction? Well, it must be because I don't deserve or I'm not worthy of or they don't want me, they they don't like me. I love that Greg shared that whole piece about Um, being able to look God in the eye when God is speaking blessings and affirmation and good things over us because we get into this I don't deserve this game. You guys ever, anybody of you even, anybody even thought that this week something good happened to you and you're like, I don't deserve this. But I think in God's economy and the way the kingdom works, deserve isn't even a concept. Like deserve doesn't even make sense. It's not, it doesn't belong on the table. But I grew up thinking I don't deserve parents. My dad obviously doesn't want to be around me and all these different things, but it kind of became a victim mentality for me. So all of my issues, my trust issues and stuff like that, I was like, well, because my parents did blah, blah, blah. But it's so tough that this is recorded and going to be posted online. <laughs> Can I tell you something really cool? Can I, can I jump to the redemptive side of it? So you, most of you have met my dad. Raise your hand if you've met my dad. All right. You've probably seen he has a bullet hole tattoo on the back of his head. All right. He rides a Harley. He wears a hat, sometimes into church, that represents hell's angels. That's kind of my dad. He joked when Sarah and I were getting married. He was like, so hey, I'm going to show up at your wedding wearing chaps. 
and that's all. Yeah, if you know what I mean, yeah, just, but my dad, very gruff, like, he's a Harley riding, tough, like, loud voice, don't mess with, hangs out in bars kind of guy. And that's the father that I grew up with. Do you think that I ever have that kind of going back onto God? But you know what's happened, something really cool in our family? A little boy named Joshua Diego was born. And you know what that did? It began to absolutely transform the demeanor of this gentleman that I call dad. I actually call him Pops, and now my boys call him Hip Hop. I don't know if you've heard that story, but me and my brother call him Pops. And, and Zach, one day, I was like, hey, Pops. And Zach was like, what did you call him? Did you call him Hip Hop? And so now we call him Grandpa Hip Hop. But so Grandpa Hip Hop, and you have to picture this, he's, you know, shaved head, kind of looks like Bruce Willis a little bit, bullet hole tattoo, Harley riding guy. You picture a certain personality with that, right? It was about uh, almost three years ago, yesterday, today's the 21st, right? Three years ago yesterday, forgive me if I get emotional. Um, that I got the call that my little brother had got arrested. Most of you know a little bit about that story. That was three years ago yesterday. The hardest part of that whole situation, and I mean, I don't know how much detail you want, but let's just say a lot of drugs, some firearms, and his four-year-old, or no, his two-year-old this time in the picture, that's a lot of felonies. That's a lot of time in prison. This was my brother. I'm, this was two weeks after I'd moved back from China, looking forward to living with him again, being in being family with him again. So we knew that he was going to be in prison for a long time, at least five, potentially nine, maybe even 13 years with numbers being thrown out. The hardest part of that whole situation was when I had to call hip-hop. And I, I had this expectation of how it would go because what I was used to was with hip-hop was him getting angry when I did something wrong, because I didn't know all that was going on with him, but I just was used to the, the anger response. And I remember dreading having to call him, and I didn't know what he was going to say. And I called him up, and, and all I had to say, I said, Bubba, that's what we call my brother, I said, Bubba got arrested today, and he had this and this and this, and, and Will was with him. And I just remember, literally, the phone like went silent for a little bit, and then just this heaving, weeping, as he's dri he drives a semi-truck. He drives a big tanker truck. And I just remember this heaving, weeping, like it was like his soul collapsed underneath him as I told him this. Now you hear that about a father, and you're like, yes, of course, but you have to have the mental picture of my dad in your mind to really appreciate what this means. He literally had to pull his truck over to the side of the road and it took him probably about 30 minutes to compose himself. And I sat there on the phone with him for about 10 of those minutes, just wishing I could jump through the phone and just hold my own dad as he was broken under the weight of his son who had done some horrible things, made some stupid decisions, and my dad's response wasn't, well, he's getting what he deserved, or it wasn't, I can't believe he did that, or how stupid of him. It was just pure, broken compassion. I can't believe this is happening to me. 
And it was one of those times that I saw so much of God in my Father. It made me think of the time when Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem and it says that he's looking out over them and he just begins to weep. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wing like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Because Jesus says, look at you're getting something and you don't deserve it and I don't want it to come upon you and you've insisted on this, but he's just absolutely broken as a father for what his kids have done. That's in Luke 19. But that began to transform my relationship with hip-hop and I actually had the courage a few, maybe about six, seven months ago, or maybe a little longer, I went to visit my brother. Me and my dad drove up to Oregon, and, and I, I finally got the courage to just ask my dad. I, I don't know if you've ever done this, if you kind of went, grew up in one of those divorce situations. It was, for us, it was the every other weekend type thing. And I was like, so let me just ask you something. I'm not trying to make you defensive. I just, wanna, just want some perspective. Where were you when I was growing up? It's kind of a messed up question to ask. But I had to ask it. And you know what was so cool? Was I was so surprised by his answer. Because what had been the tape in my head all through my childhood, remember? He doesn't want me. He wants nothing to do with me. He's too busy for me. Whatever, whatever, all these things. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. You know what he said? The only job I could get was driving a truck because I barely graduated high school. And so I had to get up around 3.30 or 4 in the morning every morning. And by the time I got home, I was so tired, I would, go to, I would fall asleep before you guys were ready for bed. I was just doing what I could to take care of you with the best I had. And I was like, well, what about when I was older and your job changed? And, and he goes, well, you guys would come over to my house, but you had so many friends by where I lived that I just assumed you wanted to be with them more. I didn't want to get in the way of you hanging out with your friends. So when you would come over, I would just let you go do your thing because I didn't want to be that dad that was just in the way of you and what you wanted. And all of a sudden, I'm like, dang, who's the creep here? <laughs> but it's just been really healing for me to realize that I had all these things that I projected onto my dad and then in turn got projected onto God and a lot of it was an illusion. And my dad's actually a really good dad. When we were in China, we would call him and, and he, sometimes he would just break out in tears over the phone and just be, I'm like, Dad, what's going on with you? And he's like, I just miss you guys. I just want to see those grandbabies, those grand studs, is what he called them. But he's like, I just want to see those grand studs and he'd just be crying on the other end of the phone. This is not the dad I grew up with, and he's not the dad I grew up with. Isn't that so beautiful? It sucks that it's taken some of those things, but it's just... And so I, I want you guys to hear that, because that's what Father's Day means to me. And, but divorce, you know, is often this thing, it's like... It, it's a very complicated... Divorce is such a complicated thing, but... Um, two more people, real quick. I'm not going to make this long, but... Um, one of the things that happened, I was five, and my, my dad was kind of out of the picture for a while, and, and my grandfather stepped into the picture. And Greg Egger reminds me a lot of him. My grandpa was a highway patrolman for about 30 years, and about Greg's height, and he was actually a professional baseball player. He only made it to the minor leagues, and then he left baseball. His dream was to become a major league player, 
but it got to the point where he had to choose his family over his dreams, and he chose his family, and quit playing baseball, became a teacher, and then a highway patrolman. And I was thinking about the way that my grandfather has shown me God, and there's this verse, Cam, which is it Deuteronomy something? Yeah. So I love this verse as we think about what kind of father God is. The Lord is indeed going before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. So do not be afraid or discouraged. I don't know if anybody needs to hear that this morning, but I need to hear that all the time. Because sometimes I just freak out about what's ahead of me. So my grandpa, who's a baseball player, I played soccer in in high school. That was my main sport. This was the thing. We would drive sometimes two and a half hours. We had, a, we had games in Templeton from Fresno. And you know what happened? Every game for four years, the team would roll up in our van, and you know how we knew we were at the right place? Because sometimes we got dropped off the wrong place. <laughs> you know how we knew we were in the right place? My grandparents' van was parked there, and they were sitting in the stands waiting for us to come out on the field. Every game for four years. My grandpa, the baseball guy, is sitting there waiting for his grandson to play soccer. Is there, for those of you growing up, is there any better feeling than playing a sport and looking out into the stands and seeing a loved one there? And and some of us didn't have that. I didn't have that with my dad. But I had it with my grandpa, and it made me think of this. He will go before you, and that's how you'll know you're in the right place. It was really fun for me. When I joined YWAM in in 2000, my grandpa was excited, but his question was always, that's a great boy, but when are you going to college? Because he knew I needed that degree to have, you know, what are those things called that once you get a degree, you get a what? Starts with a J. Um, Job, you get a Job, you get a a G-O-B, but he knew that I needed a degree to get a job, and he's right. Um, But it was so huge for me because every time he'd be like, so when are you going to college? When are you going to college? Boy, I love what you're doing, but when are you going to college? How good do you think it felt for me to send him pictures of my commencement last weekend? It's like, Grandpa, I was a little late. <laughs> About 12 years late. But I did it. And just feeling that feeling of like, boy, I knew you could do it. I'm proud of you. But there's one more person I wanted to tell you about. And then we're going to go over and see how this all comes together. Um, so, I have two vivid memories from my childhood. How many of you guys can, anybody, can you remember like everything from your childhood? Who has a really poor memory of your childhood? Yeah, me too. <laughs> I remember like four things. My brother can't forget anything. Sometimes we wish he would. But I don't remember much from my childhood, but there's, there's two things that I remember very, very clearly, and it's really interesting that this is what I remember. When I was about eight, my mom met a gentleman named Dwayne, and he was 39, had never been married, and was pretty shy, and I wasn't sure what to think about a new guy coming into my mom's life, because it kind of felt like betrayal to my dad. For those of you with step-parent situations, it's, it's a complicated thing, isn't it? It's like, do I call him dad? Can I, is, how does my dad feel? No, it's just, it's a really, really tough thing, but two of my favorite memories growing up, happened right around the time 
that I met Dwayne, and, and this is what they are. The first one is me on a trip to Sacramento. And Dwayne's an accountant, so he would travel and have to do those conventions where you learn all the CPA rules and stuff every year. So he took me, just me and him, on a trip to Sacramento. And we went and played miniature golf when I made a hole-in-one. Can you imagine? <laughs> made a hole-in-one playing mini-golf. But then the highlight of the trip for me was being in the pool, and he would do this thing, and some of you dads, I'm sure you do this, but he would go underwater, and he would take his hands, and I would grab his hands, and I would climb up onto his shoulders while he's like, you know, kind of hoping I'd get on quick, because <laughs> I wasn't light by then, I was almost 10. And I would stand up on his shoulders, and he would launch up out of the water and just throw me. But the, the most special point of that whole experience for me was the moment that I was still on his shoulders and I hadn't yet left. It's just this incredibly rich memory for me, and I, I've never really known why. It was like this crazy mix of trust and security and, and exhilaration. And some of you guys are like, that's like the most, like, like the silliest thing. Like, but for some reason, that's a highlight of my childhood. The second thing related to it is actually right here around the corner. There's these rocks. You ever seen them? Next to a really big rock? If you haven't seen it, just go check it out. Um, this rock. I have memories being nine, ten years old. The best part of this is the look on my mom's face. Nine, ten years old, I'm up on Dwayne's shoulders as he's jumping from boulder to boulder on the jetty. And my mom is sitting there like, <gasps> and he's as confident as can be, and I, it doesn't even cross my mind that he could slip or that he could fall or that this is actually not really wise. It never once crossed my mind. Apparently it didn't cross his mind either. Because he wouldn't have put me in that situation if he didn't trust himself to be faithful with it. And I thought, that's like the pinnacle moment of fatherhood experiences for me. Is being on his shoulders, jumping from rock to rock. It, once again, it's that combination of trust and exhilaration. Of delight and stability, and it's just this, this combination. For some reason, there's something so rich there, and it made me think of this verse in Deuteronomy again. Deuteronomy's got all the good ones today. It says about God, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. And the thing that was coming to me as I was thinking about this story was that it was as if my stepdad was an extension of the rocks beneath him, that same stability that those rocks give, that same stability that God gives, and maybe that's what we are doing as fathers, is we're an extension of the faithfulness, the trust, the stability, the steadfastness of God, the rock beneath us, that we bridge the gap in the experience of our kids. We kind of are these living, breathing extensions of this faithfulness of God described in Deuteronomy. Let me ask you, Dad, something real quick. Do any of you feel a lot of pressure to like just be a hit a grand slam every time, Dad? Like, how many of you have a lot of expectation on yourself in terms of fatherhood? Yeah, Mark, Joseph, yeah. Tyler. Is it interesting? To any, this is what hit me this morning as I was thinking about all this. I have a lot of those expectations on myself as well, especially in light of the way I interpreted my childhood. You can imagine. 
But you know what hit me as I was processing on the way here this morning? Are my memories, my like key father memories from childhood, are they of these big, wonderful, majestic, once-in-a-lifetime experiences? They aren't, are they? It's like the most routine, the most simple, the most everyday things of experiences with my fathers that have shaped me and that I hold on to as like the pinnacle of why I am who I am and how I see God. Is that interesting to anybody else but me? That it's the simple, everyday little things that make fatherhood the rich thing that it can be. Let me put it back to you all just for a couple minutes. As I share these stories, or maybe for you, what's... It might be hard to keep this concise, but what's a way, even in like an everyday thing, that you have seen God in a father figure that you would like to take a minute and just acknowledge and that you find maybe yourself welling up with gratitude for. Are you, as, as I'm sharing my stories, I'm assuming your own are coming to you. Is there anybody that has a story or a, an experience that, that you'd like to share that, that kind of just helps us see this whole side? Yeah, share it. Thank you, Sharon. Someone on this side of the room. Yeah, Andrew. I met them. They're great.
glad to, I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. One more? Yes, go. And then we'll go on a field trip. Fatherhood is at the core of the universe. Anybody feeling a sense of gratitude maybe welling up for just... Isn't it interesting that we, we kind of think that our experience is one way, but I don't know, I would encourage you all to really, to just be asking God today, is there, is there a way that you've been showing me yourself through father figures that I haven't seen it? Like, maybe there's been a misunderstanding or just something going on that... I don't know fully how to articulate that, but that's just... That's been such a huge thing for me. Um, I want to share with you one final way that I think God is fathering us as a community. I had mentioned to Geska a few... Probably about a month or two ago that we were looking for an office space, and she about a week ago, right? Or no, two weeks ago, sent me an email, something, an office space she'd found on Craigslist. And it was this place that we went and saw it. It was over in Quintana Plaza. And it was pretty the only thing available <laughs> um, to be neutral about, in my language about it. We were excited about the idea that it was there and it was what it was, but we were excited because it was kind of our option. We went through the whole process, got a credit check, and, and got approved, and I actually had an email. I was about to respond to an email to say, yeah, we want it. We want to move forward with it. And then I got a text from my wife, and it was a picture of a building with a for lease sign on it. So instead of telling you more about it, can I show you it? Go for a five-minute walk? Um, is there anything that we need to pack up right away? Um, if we pack up just the computer, would we be okay? What do, we, what do we absolutely need to pack up? No, you guys need to come. Let's do this. Um, let's do a quick pack-up job, grab our things. I really feel like we're like, I should ask the Seraphins, how do we do field trip well? Um, maybe I